the well. Commentators, uh, one commentator calls her the bad Samaritan. You know, the good Samaritan is Jesus with the bad Samaritan. What's happening in John 4, and we'll just get an overview today, but it's kind of a, a small picture, a microcosm, a summary of what God is doing in the world all the time. Uh, he's going to have this appointment with this lady, and he's going to target her for the message of the gospel, but then he's going to use her to bring an entire village to salvation. There's going to be this great revival. And I resonate with this lady. Let me, let me tell you, when I, when I read this passage, I don't identify with Jesus. Like, I need to be more like Jesus is in this passage. I actually identify very much with the Samaritan woman. Um, in fact, when I, when I first started preaching this, I would say, I am a Samaritan woman. In the year 2022, I can't say that so boldly anymore because uh, people might misunderstand my meaning. Um, I self-identify as a frumpy 50-year-old missions catalyst who lives in Atlanta. So I'm not really a Samaritan woman, but I identify with her, her confusion, her, her need, her evasiveness as God's working in her life, uh, her desperation, her, her thirst, and then God's mercy to her. So we're reading about her, but although you know the story, I want you to read it with fresh eyes. Pretend you've never heard it before. There's things here that maybe you've misunderstood or taken for granted. This is a story about us, a story about you and, and what God is doing in our lives, what he wants to do in your life. So we'll read it together. John chapter 4, I'm going to read 42 verses. Uh, I'm going to read the whole story, and um, then I'll make some uh, comments on it. But listen to what God is doing in this passage. John chapter 4, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made him baptize more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So he's going from southern Israel around Jerusalem up to northern Israel around the Sea of Galilee. And he's being rejected by the Jews. In order to get there, he's going to walk through Samaria. He's going to go through this hated land. The Samaritans, people were so prejudiced. Uh, people were so unkind. He's leaving them and he's going to go to Samaria and, and actually find a great acceptance. So... Uh, verse 4, he must needs go through Samaria. Part of that is just geographically, it was in the middle between where he was, where he was going. But he could have gone around. Sometimes people were so prejudiced they would go around not to set foot in uh, Samaria. I think he needed to go there because of a divine appointment, because he needed to meet with this lady. So uh, verse 5, then come with you to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being, being wearied with his journey, I can't preach that right now, but that's amazing. The, the God of creation, who never slumbers or sleeps, now has become human, he's weary, and he's thirsty. So, so God become man is wearied with his journey. Uh, he sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. It's about noon, hottest part of the day. Come, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me a drink. For his disciples were gone away uh, unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, how, how do you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, Thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence or from where, how are you going to draw and give living water? Verse 12, 
Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come here to draw. So Jesus, in answering her request, says in verse 16, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that saidst thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers, the, the Samaritans she's talking about, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. She's trying to change the subject. Stop talking about my marital history. Uh, should we worship here in Samaria, at Mount Sychar, or should we go to Jerusalem? And she's, she's evading, changing the subject. Jesus uh, said unto her, Woman, this is, this is key, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming, the hour cometh, when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. So I'll answer your question. The Jews are right, but the hour is coming and is now. The hour has arrived when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. The Father is seeking worshipers. God is a spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto Him, I know that the Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus speaks with such candor, like remarkable candor. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am He. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. Upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what uh, seekest thou, or why are you talking with her? All right, kudos to Peter. This is the one time in Scripture that he actually didn't say something uh, impulsively that popped into his mouth. Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot. She went her way into the city and saith to the men, come see a man which told me all the things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and were coming to him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore the disciples, uh, uh, therefore said the disciples to one another, Hath any man brought him aught or anything to eat? They, they totally missed it, and we'll talk about that. Jesus saith unto them, My meat, my, my desire, my hunger is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reaps receives wages and gathers fruit unto life eternal, that both he that sows and he that reaps may rejoice together. Herein is the saying true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor, other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. What he's saying is, look at the fields. I don't think he's looking at fields. I think he's looking at Samaritans walking out toward them. And he says, guys, it is time to harvest. 
No thanks to you. You didn't do the work. You went into that city and bought lunch and talked to nobody about the gospel. This Samaritan woman overcame her fears, her shame, and in a moment, she went to that city, and the harvest is coming out. You're going to get to reap where you didn't even sow. All right, guys, roll up your sleeve. This is going to be fun. We're going to see revival come to Samaria. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him. For the saying of the woman which testified, he told me everything that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said unto the woman, now we believe not because of the saying, not, not because of your saying. For we have heard him ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. What an amazing passage. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Not just the Savior of the Jews. The Samaritans who are a hated people, who, who you know, were, were the offscouring of the world. They, they, were, they were despised by the Jews, but they said, this man is coming to save not just Jews, he's coming to save the world. I mean, this is a mission text. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's the only Savior. What a powerful text give you five points today, and I, I cannot unpack them all adequately. Uh, I have a book called The God Who Satisfies uh, that takes its time through this. And it, we could have done six messages from John 4. Uh, let's just see just quickly what God is doing, and maybe it will pique your interest to study this further. I want to start with this point. Jesus seeks sinners. And we know, we know that, right, from Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus seeks sinners. Jesus is the one who is in pursuit. All right? This, Jesus is after this woman. He has kind of set his affection on her in spite of her because she's a mess. But he loves her, and he is seeking her. So he starts the conversation. He turns the conversation from, from real water to living water, spiritual water. He offers to, to meet her needs. And the whole time, as he is in pursuit of her, she's dodging and weaving. You know, if it were Olympics, it's less like a sprint and more like a steeplechase where they have to jump over all of these impediments. She's trying to get away, and, and he just keeps going for her. He's seeking sinners. In order to do that, he is stepping over all kinds of barriers and boundaries. Like what? Well, he stepped over an ethnic barrier. Uh, he stepped over a geographic barrier. The Samaritans, what, I, I keep saying they're hated people. The reason why is there was a time in Israel's history where they were the northern tribes were conquered by the Assyrians. The Assyrians forced these Jews to intermarry with them and have children. So you have these people that are, are half Jew, half Gentile. And, you know, we, we live in a hateful world. Prejudice is not new. So the Jews hated the Gentiles. The only thing worse than Gentiles were the Samaritans. People call Jesus a Samaritan like a curse word. He's, you know, he's a Samaritan. And, and he wasn't, but, but they're using it as a derogatory term. Uh, they hated them. But Jesus had no time for that kind of prejudice. So he talks to this woman. She's surprised. The disciples are surprised. But Jesus has no time for that. He just pokes a hole in all of it. And he says, I... I love people. I came to seek and save lost people. So he's seeking her, goes over geographic boundaries. 
He goes over ethnic boundaries, you know, kind of a, a cultural stereotype boundaries. He's not only talking to a Samaritan, he's talking to a Samaritan woman. Uh, women weren't valued. To talk to your own wife in public was kind of shocking. You know, sorry, ladies, but uh, the world is prejudiced not only racially and ethnically, but prejudiced against ladies. And Jesus says, no, I'll have none of that. I'm interested in this lady. I don't care about my reputation. I'm talking to her. You know, he's, he's stepping over a religious barrier because the Samaritans had this false religion. They kind of believed the Pentateuch, not the rest of Scripture, but they changed the Pentateuch. They had their own rival sacrificial system. They were wrong, Jesus said, but he says, I don't care about all that. I'm, I'm dealing with you. He's talking to a lady that is, is a notorious sinner. Why, why do you think she is the only lady at the well in the heat of the day? The normal time to go to get water would be like early in the morning when it's kind of cool. Okay, but if you've been married five times, you not only have five ex-husbands, you have five ex-mothers-in-law. You know, who knows how many sisters-in-law, and you, you avoid people. She's embarrassed. Let, let me tell you something. If you are an outcast among the Samaritans, that, you know, if you're a pariah to the Samaritans, this is the lowest of the low. This is a pitiful lady. And Jesus wants to talk to her. Jesus seeks her. He, he puts his affection on her. And that's why I say I relate to this lady. You understand, God didn't save you because you're so smart, so wise. You know, you have so much potential. No, you're a mess. Do you know what you contribute to salvation? The sin. You contribute to sin. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. Jesus loves lost people. And this passage is so powerful because here you have this woman that is the worst of the worst. And then John 3, do you remember Jesus had a one-on-one conversation in John 3? Do you remember who that was with? John 3 was Nicodemus. He was the teacher in Israel. So he's a Jew, she's a Gentile. He is high and respected. She is an outcast among even her own people. He has a sterling reputation. She has a terrible reputation. But he treats them the same. He says, he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's a fancy way of saying, Nicodemus, as religious as you are, you are dead. You have no life in you. You must be born again. You need life. And then he comes to this woman, and he says, I can meet your needs. And to Jesus, you know, Jesus has no room for prejudice, for racism. My friend J.D. Crowley is a missionary in Cambodia. He says, the, the, the cross is a dagger in the heart of racism. You cannot be a Bible-believing Christian and be racist. And Jesus says, you know what? The Pharisees are chasing me away. I'm going to go to the Samaritans, and there's going to be a great revival. Jesus seeks sinners, and and Jesus saves sinners. By the end of this passage, this lady is going to be saved. An amazing work. There is no sin so dark that the blood of Jesus Christ can't wash it out. There's no person so small, so unimportant, that Jesus doesn't want to save them. Jesus saves sinners, like, like the Samaritan woman. So he's going to... Offer her living water. She doesn't get it. This happens all the time in the Gospel of John. You know, Jesus uses an illustration. He tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how, how would I go into my mother's womb? And Okay, no, Nicodemus, I was using an analogy. You know, 
You have to be born again spiritually. He tells this woman, I have water and you'll never thirst again. She says, that would be awesome because this jar is heavy. And No, no, I'm talking about your soul. Jesus tells the disciple, I have meat to eat that you know nothing about. And they said, did somebody give him a ham sandwich? Okay, they're Jews, probably not a ham sandwich. But did somebody give him something to eat? No, guys, you missed it. You know, later in John 6, he's going to say, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the Jews said, ugh. And, and they missed it. That happens all the time. Jesus is offering her salvation, and he says unequivocally, I am the Messiah. Other times he would kind of hint at it or, you know, what do you, who do you say that I am? But to her he says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you're looking for. He's going to save her. He's going to forgive her sins. Jesus seeks and saves the lost, Luke 19.10. That's his mission. And we Christians get to have a part in that. Why leave a, a ministry of, of relative comfort and and go and, and give your life to missions. Why do people leave their family and their job to go to the other side of the world? Because the work of God is to seek and save the lost. God is the greatest missionary. He's seeking and saving lost people. We get to just play along. So Jesus seeks sinners. Jesus saves sinners. He's going to forgive her. But really the focus of the text is this. Jesus satisfies sinners. His whole conversation with her is, is surprising to me. Yes, he offers her salvation because she's a sinner and she needs to be forgiven. But when he presses into her need, he says, go get your husband. She says, I don't have one. That's true. You've had five. Now you're shacked up with somebody else. And she's uncomfortable, but he's, he's not ignoring her sin. He's not gracious in that he ignores sin. He's gracious in that he exposes it in order to remove it. So he says, there's water here. I could satisfy you. That's interesting to me. If I had been Jesus, which is never the right way to start a sentence, okay? But, uh, but just follow me for a second. If I had been Jesus and I were going to use water as an analogy, I would say, you know, there's water here. And if you would ask me, I could use this water to cleanse your filth. Because you're dirty. Spiritually, you're dirty. And there's water here. I actually have living water that could wash away your sins. That's what I would have said. Jesus didn't focus on cleansing her filth, which she needed. He focused on quenching her thirst. I think we have misunderstood this lady. You know, uh, old people, we think of her kind of an Elizabeth Taylor, just in and out of marriages, willy-nilly. And, you know, get a husband, lose a husband, get another husband, leave him. You understand, we've already talked about women were not valued. Women were not protected. A woman didn't just decide to leave her husband and choose somebody else. You know, a man could leave his wife for any reason. We have that discussion with Jesus and the disciples. You know, for burning dinner, he could leave her. I mean, it, it, was, it was a male-dominated world. This woman is not like a prostitute. What do you think she was after? Jesus described her primarily not as filthy, but as thirsty. What do you think she was thirsty for? 
imagine this. Imagine a young Samaritan girl, like, like many girls all over the world, then, now, just thinking, you know, I can't wait till I meet the right man. I'm, I'm dissatisfied. My, my life feels empty. There's something missing. Do you know what I need? I need Mr. Right. I need to meet a, a Samaritan man, and if I just meet the right guy, my life will have meaning. It will be full. I will be satisfied. This thirst will go away. And the day comes where she marries a man, and her dreams come true, but she's still thirsty. She's not satisfied because, because marriage won't satisfy you. Okay, my, my wife, Lori, is a great wife, but she's a bad God. She cannot give meaning to my life in a way that only God can. You know, there's a God-shaped hole in every heart, and only God can really fill it. And let me give you just some marriage advice. If, if you're putting that kind of pressure on your spouse or later on your children, like, well, I, I got married and I'm, I'm still not satisfied, you know what would bring my life meaning is children. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have laughed at that. Uh, children will make your unsatisfied life impossibly complicated. But they, they won't satisfy the thirst of your soul, but they can't. And if you expect them to, you're going to be miserable. You're going to make them miserable. And, and then, you know, people might say, well, marriage didn't do it. Children didn't do it. My career will do it. Or more education will do it. Or more money will do it. Or better trips will do it. Or alcohol will do it. Or drugs will do it. Or an affair will do it. And they're so thirsty. This isn't a terrible person. She, she, wasn't, she wasn't looking for sex to meet her need. She was looking for a man to meet her need. And it didn't work. And he rejected her. And he kicked her out to the curb with the rest of the garbage. And she was so sad. But a second man came and offered to marry her. And she thought, this will be the one. I mean, I, I had a misstep, but... This will bring my heart meaning. And it doesn't. And she's rejected again. And a third time. And a fourth time. And a fifth time. This, this, isn't, this isn't a prostitute. This is a normal lady that, that wanted a family. Of all the things she could have been after... She just wanted meaning in a healthy relationship. And finally, guy number six comes up and he says, you know, you are damaged goods. I am not marrying you. But you can move in. And she sighs and she says, well, maybe, the, maybe this is what I'm missing. So this sinful woman, this religiously confused woman, is so thirsty. And Jesus, in his compassion, comes to her and he says, if you knew who I am and if you asked me, I would give you living water and you would never thirst again. What you're looking for is not a man or children, not a relationship, not a job, not success. She, she really, in, in an ironic way, she actually is the equivalent of King Solomon in Ecclesiastes, 
He's trying to find meaning in life. He says, I tried this, I tried that, I tried that. And it was all vanity. It was all empty. I'm so thirsty. Scripture uses that analogy often. It says that, that Jesus satisfies. There's invitations in Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to me. Why do you spend your life and your money and your energy for things that will never satisfy you? Come to me and freely be satisfied. Jeremiah says, you have you've committed two evils. You've rejected God, the, the true water, and you've hewn out cisterns, these, these false religions that will never satisfy you. Revelation is going to invite people, whoever is thirsty, come, drink. Jesus is so much more gracious than we think. You know, sometimes we view Christianity, and, and Christians can be very condemning, very judgmental, pointing fingers. Jesus comes to this most pathetic woman. Sad. What a sad story. And he doesn't condemn her. He doesn't, you know, write articles about her. He says, you know what? What you're looking for is me. Jesus satisfies the thirsty soul. What a God we have. He seeks sinners, he saves sinners, and he satisfies sinners in his great mercy. And this woman is going to be saved and, and drastically changed in a moment. That's what the gospel does. Jesus is a lot of things, but he is, you know, we, we say he's omnipotent, he's omniscient. He is omni-gracious. He is more determined to save her than she is to remain lost. And however you figure out God's sovereignty and salvation, this woman was not seeking. She was running. It's always been that way. Adam and Eve sin, and they run from God, and he pursues them. Aren't you glad that God seeks and saves sinners like you? And you better believe only he can satisfy you. Whatever you're thinking, you're going to try next to, to deal with, the, with the, the heart of yours that is so discontent. You're going to be miserable until you find satisfaction in Jesus. Jesus satisfies sinners. Now, that would have been a good time to end the story, roll the credits, but it's not over. Jesus seeks, saves, satisfies sinners. Two more points. Jesus turns sinners into worshipers. Jesus turns sinners into worshipers. He says in verses 23 and 24, God is seeking worshipers. Let me ask you something. If God is seeking worshipers, where does he find them? Where does God find worshipers? You know, as he looked through the earth at lost sinners, he's like, oh, that, that's a good one. She, she has a lot of potential, or he looks like he'd have a great voice. Or he, where, where, did, where does God find worshipers? There's none righteous, no, not one. Nobody understands, nobody seeks after God. God is seeking worshipers, but he doesn't find them. He makes them. What does he make them out of? Samaritan women. God makes worshipers out of outcasts, notorious sinners, miserable people. He says, I'm not only going to save you and meet your needs, but I'm going to transform you, and you are going to be a worshiper of me, and we're going to be around the throne of Jesus, 
singing praise to the Lamb next to the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus and, and other outcasts whom Jesus saved. I mean, this is Jesus, right? Jesus is, is interested in a woman that was caught in adultery. He says, neither do I condemn you. How can he do that? How can Jesus not condemn an adulteress? Because Jesus would be condemned in the place of the adulteress. He doesn't ignore her sin. The sins of the Samaritan woman, the sins of the demoniacs, the sins of, of the lepers and the blind men, and all these miserable people that Jesus loved to, to serve. You know, he, he just made a, a ministry of helping people that were the outcasts of society. He spent a little time with Nicodemus. Most of the time he's with prostitutes, publicans, sinners. The Pharisees were shocked. This man is a friend of sinners. They said that as a criticism. We sing that as just glorious truth. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Isn't that good news? That's what Jesus does. And then he turns them into worshipers. In the middle of this evangelistic movement, we have this beautiful depiction of worship. And he says that God is seeking worshipers. And I want you to put these two passages together. John 4, 23 and 24, God is seeking worshipers. Luke 19, 10, Jesus is seeking and saving the lost. And it's the same thing. He seeks and saves the lost and turns them into worshipers. And then we give glory to him. And I don't have time to, to build on that, but we've, we've already been speaking about it all weekend. He's, he's taking sinners. He saves us. He cleanses us. He satisfies us. And then we give him all the glory. The glory goes to him. The glory goes to him. So that's the end of the story. No, not, not quite. Jesus turns sinners into worshipers and... Jesus turns sinners into witnesses. This woman, on the day she got saved, becomes one of the most effective evangelists in the New Testament. She is going to go into the city, tell her story. She doesn't know much. You know, she hasn't taken an evangelism class, no seminary, unless there was a seminary between the well and Sycor, but probably not. She just wants to go to the city. And all the people she's been avoiding, she's, she's got to get to them. In fact, I'm not even carrying my jar. Commentators say, well, the jar represents her old life. No, actually, the jar is just a jar. But she's like, you know what? Who cares about, who cares about water and, and laundry right now? I got go, to go find all my mothers-in-law and tell them they need Jesus because they do. They need Jesus. <laughs> so all the people she's been avoiding, she goes into town and she doesn't have much to say, but she says, I met a man, he's amazing, and he changed my life. I think I met the Messiah, come and see. And they see the change in her, and they're like, wow, something happened. Let's go see what happened. The, the, the comparison, we, we call it a juxtaposition. Two things are laid beside each other for comparison. The comparison of the Samaritan woman and the disciples, the disciples looked bad. The disciples went into that city. They got lunch. They probably kept their head down. Do you ever go to a part of town and you're like, don't look people in the eye, just, you know, we've got to stop because we're out of gas, but don't, don't talk to anybody. Lock the door. They, they went in, they got food, they came back. Witnessed to nobody. They've been with Jesus all this time and they don't get it. Yeah, they will. The Samaritan woman goes and tells people her story and the gospel is contagious. When somebody gets saved and starts telling people about it, they're like, you know what? I've always thought this woman was crazy, but she found something that I think I might need. And 
there's, the, there's kind of a satisfied customer. This lady says, he changed my life, and people start thinking, maybe he could do it for me. They come out, and there's going to be a, a revival where most of the village is going gonna, is gonna to be born again. And again, you have this comparison. The Jews just chase Jesus away. The Samaritans embrace the gospel. So Jesus is going to bring a revival because this lady was a witness. And in the middle of that, you know, we have this, this food discussion. <laughs> the disciples are like, uh, Jesus, you know, you must be starving. What a contrast. The woman was so obsessed with the gospel that she was oblivious to her other needs. Forget the jar. Nah, who cares? The gospel matters. Nothing else does. The disciples, it's the opposite. They were so obsessed with their needs. It's lunchtime. My feet are killing me. They, they were so obsessed with their needs that they were oblivious to the gospel. They walked by all these people who are going to hell, and they didn't care. They just had to get something to eat. That's terrible, but aren't, aren't we like that? I mean, I know, I know my neighbors. I know my neighbors are lost. But man, their, their yard looks so bad. You know, I, I think I'm going to talk to them about cleaning things up a little bit. You know, I mean, the thing that really bugs me about my neighbor is their loud music. Or the thing that, you know, we, we get so obsessed with stupid stuff, jars and lunch, and people are going to hell. This lady is an example, and God is going to change the perspective of the disciples and allow them to harvest where they didn't deserve to harvest. And you come to this conclusion, you have hated Samaritans who are loved by Jesus. And they give us this beautiful statement in John 4, 42. This is the Savior of the world. Not just Jews, not just Americans, not just Republicans, you know, not just white people or black people or whatever. He's the Savior of the world. We're all the same. We're the same because we came from Adam. We are the same because we're lost in sin. We're the same because we're loved by Jesus. We're the same because we're united in Christ. We're all the same. That's what the gospel does. Jesus is, Jesus is amazing. And John 4 is such a beautiful passage. So not making any, any gender um, revelation today. But I am a Samaritan woman. I'm confused, selfish. I try to meet my needs with the wrong things. But Jesus seeks and saves and satisfies me. He'll do the same for you. If you don't know Jesus, you need him. He will satisfy your soul. He'll, he'll forgive your sins. He'll satisfy your soul. And he'll actually use you for worship and for witness. They go together. Every passage we read yesterday... You know, Isaiah 6 has the Lord high and lifted up, and at the end, Isaiah is being sent. Revelation, we're giving glory to Jesus, but we're giving glory to Jesus who saves people from every tribe, tongue, kindred, and nation. Worship and witness are inseparable. We see it in John 4. This is what God's doing in the world. It's what he wants to do with you. It's what he wants to do with me. Praise God for a Savior like this. Amazing. Lord, please use your word today. The example of the Samaritan woman is compelling, but the example of Jesus, the, the love of Jesus.